Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. We all know the 12 Days of Christmas song. The question that's always fun when you sing the 12 Days of Christmas song is, do you know what's coming next and do you have it memorized? Well, there's a whole new layer to the 12 Days of Christmas song, which I love to dive into every Christmas season here on Relevant Radio. And it's the hidden meaning, the hidden Catholic meaning behind the 12 Days of Christmas song. I'll never forget when I was in college and all of our theology classes, it was the icing on the cake that cake that my professor kept teasing. He said, if you guys do well in the class and we have some extra time on the very last class day, I will walk through the 12 days of Christmas song and the Catholic meaning and the Catholic catechism behind it. So get ready for a very fun and deep dive into Catholic catechism class that you can take with you this Christmas season because we have this 12 days of Christmas leading up to Epiphany. And this song is incredible. I'm going to share with you why it has a hidden Catholic meaning and all that you need to know about the meaning behind all of those things. Do you know what number five and six are? Five golden rings is always an easy one. There's four calling birds. After five, it gets a little harder though. So stay with me as we'll dive into that. Also, we're in our series on the four last things. We're in series we started with heaven or sorry death we started with judgment and now we're into heaven tomorrow we'll talk about hell because these four last things are those things which the church calls us to focus on as we come to the end of this Advent season and as we walked through the end of the church liturgical year that ended just a little after All Souls Day and basically the reminder from the church is remember your death but don't just remember death. Remember that with death comes judgment, and with judgment comes heaven or hell, perhaps purgatory if we're lucky on our way to heaven. So we'll dive into heaven today in our four-part series. But before we do that, I saw a report that came out that crisis pregnancy centers, also known as pregnancy resource centers across this nation, last year alone gave over $358 million in services to women. million in services to women. These services that pregnancy resource centers offer to women are free. This is what is phenomenal about this statistic coming out because when you hear things such as this, this isn't a government handout. This is the generosity of people in the pro-life movement saying women's lives matter and so do their children. And I want to do everything to help support and build up women so that women don't have to walk through the horror, the terror of abortion. 
And here's also what I think is important to remember with these pregnancy resource centers, because I've worked in one. I worked in one for nearly six years in Southern California in San Diego. I was involved in the thick and thin of the day-to-day operatings of how these women would come in. I would see women in all different walks of life who needed a little bit of support financially, maybe to make it through pregnancy, who came in seeking an abortion and left within months carrying out a baby whom they were overjoyed that they chose life and they went somewhere that affirmed life, that affirmed them as women and helped them to understand that abortion is never a choice for women. And these centers truly do life-changing work. And while some of this is documented in terms of the quantity of funds that would have been required to provide these services and people through their generosity, perhaps you who support your local pregnancy resource center have supported local center. And this is what has made it possible for a free pregnancy test to help her obtain an ultrasound. The many plethora of things from diapers to wipes to college tuition to rent to help her get by for a couple minutes and or a couple months in her apartment. These things that do life-changing and saving work, all of this is done through the generous work of people working in the pro-life movement. And I have had the honor of seeing this occur firsthand, but many of the things which pregnancy resource centers do, you can't quantify with dollars. I think of things such as helping a woman to navigate signing up for FAFSA for her financial aid to figure out how to do that so that she can have funding to get through college and support one day her child. I think of the countless hours of counseling, tears, and moments of rejoicing as counselors effortlessly guide women through often just being a listening ear, a good mentor, especially for many people who didn't have parents who necessarily could help them through navigating a pregnancy or maybe whose parents weren't around. I can tell you stories of women just to give a glimpse of what our pregnancy resource centers do. I'd like to share with you a couple stories, but before I do, here's something that occurs within the debate between people who are pro-life and people who hold to a strong pro-abortion opinion. And I've seen this many times, but one of the most predominant arguments I remember having on this topic was when I debated a woman who I engaged with on an episode of Jubilee's Middle Ground. If you've ever watched Middle Ground by Jubilee Media, it's a YouTube show that takes two radically opposing topics and you take people from both sides and they hash it out. They debate it and they condense what's a number of hours of debating down into really just a handful of maybe 15 minutes or so worth of content. And one of the women that I debated when I did that middle ground Jubilee episode, it was fascinating to me because she had faced an unplanned pregnancy and unfortunately she'd had a miscarriage. Now, ridiculously so, the pro-abortion movement, Planned Parenthood, wanted to convince her that she had an abortion. So they tried to tell her that she had an abortion, just like mainstream media tries to say today, and that if abortion was illegal, well, she wouldn't have been able to receive the basic medical care that she received for having lost her child. That's not true. That's a lie in the media. Every woman receives basic medical care and accurate medical care for when they have faced the loss of a baby. It is radically different from what an elective abortion is. An elective abortion would be where a person is choosing to kill a living baby. 
versus a woman who maybe her child through the loss of pregnancy has to have a baby who's already deceased removed from her body. That That is a heartbreaking experience. And I hate it that the pro-abortion movement and mass media lies and tries to say that that is an abortion. So in in this debate, though, with this woman, she kept having this conversation of, you guys keep acting. She kept looking at me saying, you look like someone who's privileged. I dressed nicely to go and do this video that was going to be seen by millions of people. And she looked at me, she kept going, you look like someone who's privileged. And at the time, I think I was married at this point. And she's like, you're married, you know, you're dressed the way you are. And, and she said, you're privileged. You act as if these services, these things for women will just come out of nowhere. What happens when a woman's pregnant and needs diapers? What happens when a woman's pregnant, doesn't have a place to live? And I was so excited that she asked that question. Because I said, I just tell me where you live or where someone is, and I'm happy to help provide that those resources for people who need help, for women who need help in order to keep their babies. I said, well, who? What is the government going to do that? Because I don't see the government helping women that way with basic things they need in order to carry their baby to term. And I said, absolutely. There are centers out of the generosity of local communities that provide any resource you need. And I started sharing with her some of the stories I'm about to share with you. And her jaw just about hit the floor because she could not fathom that people could be so generous as to make people's lives livable in dire circumstances. Here are some of the stories I shared with her. I remember one woman in particular. Her name was Kelsey, and she had come through the Pregnancy Resource Center. And she came to the center in dire circumstances. And she had parents who mother wasn't even in the picture. Father had various issues with drugs. So did her brother. She was trying to help pick up the pieces of her family. I think she was about 19 years old and which always stood out to me because I think I was about the same age then as well when she came into the center. And she, she had nowhere to live that would be safe for her while navigating this pregnancy and bringing new life into this world. And so as she's pregnant, she needed a place to live, to walk through a pregnancy, and then to be able to have her baby and kind of get back up on her own two feet afterward. And so we said, okay, you need somewhere to live. I remember the day the email went out to our network at the Pregnancy Resource Center, people who we knew, who we trusted, and said, okay, we need help finding housing for this woman. And some instances, it's a matter of helping pay rent. This was an instance where this woman needed someone to help mother her, to help mentor her, to prepare her to be a mom, to help protect her from the unhealthy circumstances of her father and brother. And I remember by the end of the day, she was being welcomed into the home of a woman in our local Catholic community. She was welcoming her into the home. She helped helped her navigate through her pregnancy. She helped her with her little one after the baby was born. And I remember some months after all of this ordeal, she moves out. And eventually a neat part of the story in this instance is she actually converted to Catholicism because of the generous, loving help and guidance of people who are willing to open their homes and their hearts to help navigate these dire situations. These are the real stories of women in need that we see in our local communities. I think of stories of a woman who the only thing between her and having that abortion was the fact that she didn't have a car 
to help her navigate her day-to-day responsibilities. And so she was having an abortion because she couldn't afford to fix her car. Okay, you need a new car, you need to fix your car. Pregnancy Resource Center, there we go, is helping to pay that bill so that this woman can keep her baby. And I know some people might say how disappointed they are that that is what is between life and death. And I get that. I get that frustration. But what I see on the positive side is that sometimes people don't know hope and generosity the way we do as people of faith that God provides even in the most dire of circumstances. And this is what this season of Christmas is all about, seeing the hope and generosity in Christ that he has given his entire self to us so that we might merit the kingdom of heaven. And that this is exactly what we are called to do in our local communities, to help provide truth and hope and healing, a way forward, an inspiration for faith. And this is the incredible work of our Pregnancy Resource Center. So as I hear and read the statistics that came out that a reported 358 million services were given, given to women for free from the Pregnancy Resource Centers across this nation, there's so much more that these centers do that is not quantifiable in dollars. It is truly life-changing and saving for women in crisis pregnancy situation. So I really hope that you will support your local pregnancy center and help to make sure that women in your community who might need those resources have access. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Okay, so coming up in just a little bit, we're going to dive into the 12 days of Christmas song and its hidden meaning in the incredible catechesis that will challenge all of us. And I hope you'll take this 12 days of Christmas to actually really learn some of these teachings. My daughter's still a little young, but I'm going to do my the best I can this year. It'll be the first time I start to try and walk through some of the catechesis using the song with her in our house. So that'll be fun. But this is a heavy catechism. It's not just for little kids, although I'll share with you some of the hidden meaning and how it was used to pass on the faith at a time when Christianity, or should I say Catholicism, was heavily persecuted. But before we go there, we've been walking through our series on the four last things, as the church refers to. That's death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Tomorrow, we'll finish our series diving into the topic of hell. If you've never read from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraphs 1023 through 1029, it's a few short paragraphs with rich meaning when it comes to what the church teaches regarding heaven. And I hope you'll read them because I think sometimes we struggle with regard to how to explain heaven. Some people like to refer to heaven as if it's the perfection and embodiment of everything you desire and want in total fulfillment there. Some people focus strictly on a theological type of definition or referring to it as the beatific vision, the vision of God, but that we're living in the life of God. We are living with God in God. We are with him, reigning with him. I'd like to dive a little deeper into the topic of heaven to ponder and inspire hope but also longing. I think of St. Augustine paraphrasing his words when he says, my soul's restless till it rests in thee, O Lord. Heaven is the fulfillment of all longing and desire that we have. And this is something we need to kindle in ourselves and enkindle in the hearts and minds of those entrusted to our care. 
And it should be enkindled in the hearts and minds of those who encounter us, that there's something different about the way we live because we hope and we anticipate and we strive for heaven. St. Ambrose referred to heaven as this, for life is to be with Christ. Where Christ is, there is life, there is the kingdom. I'll say that again. For life is to be with Christ. Where Christ is, there is life, there is the kingdom. So St. Ambrose, who we know was the mentor and guide to St. Augustine, and who is the friend of St. Monica, who she'd go to as she was praying and hoping that St. Augustine would come into his faith and praise God for his great conversion. But St. Ambrose is saying that to live is to be with Christ. And where that is in Christ, that's where we discover our own lives, but that is where the kingdom of heaven itself is. Now, I found it interesting as I was doing research and preparing for today's show, when looking and thinking about heaven, St. Ambrose's quote kept coming up, and in the back of my mind was that quote from St. Augustine, my soul is restless till it rests in thee, O Lord. How fitting it is that when referring to heaven, St. Ambrose has this beautiful saying that to live is to live with Christ, to be in him, to have life there, and that is the kingdom of heaven. Well, if that is the guidance we have for what heaven is, he gave that hope and that inspiration to St. Augustine, who he helped to catechize and mentor and bring into the church. And so it's so fitting that St. Augustine had this clear understanding that all that his soul longed for, even those unhealthy and seedy things that we know St. Augustine certainly lived out and indulged in sinfully, that all of that longing, all of that desire, all of that attainment is nothing in comparison to what we actually will find fulfillment in, and that is in Christ himself. And so when pondering just even some of these words of this great mentorship between St. Ambrose and St. Augustine, it's a reminder that we too should be inspiring others in our own lives to trust in and hope in and strive for the kingdom of heaven. That's what we should inspire in others by the way we live our lives. Now, we, as we read St. Ambrose's words, he says, there is the kingdom that is in Christ. We're reminded that St. Paul all over in his letters really gives us this idea of anticipation that the coming of the kingdom is in living a life of grace and that we can get a glimpse of a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven here on earth. How is that done? Well, it's done by living in a state of grace, by being preserved in our baptismal graces and combating sin through the grace of Jesus Christ and remaining in his body, remaining with him by remaining free of sin. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says heaven is the blessed community of all who are perfectly incorporated into Christ. I'll say that again. Heaven is the blessed community of all who are perfectly incorporated into Christ. That calls for perfection in Christ, but that's done through his grace. The Catechism goes on to say, this mystery of blessed communion with God and all who are in Christ is beyond all understanding and description. It feels good to read that particular line of the Catechism because what the Catechism is saying is that this exceeds it leaps and bounds it beyond our understanding of what heaven is. Heaven is a mystery of communion with God and all who are with Christ, right? And who are perfectly incorporated into him. 
And it's something that we cannot fully understand in our finite beings as human beings. And we cannot even perfectly and well describe it because it's such a great mystery. This is something I want to encourage you to really cling to in your prayer life, that we pray for a desire for the kingdom of heaven, that we're inspired by that desire, inspired by that longing to live and be with Christ. There are people, I hope and pray, who live on earth whom you so deeply desire to be connected to, to be perfectly in union with. I think some of the greatest despair in our culture is when there's discord in our relationships with those very people we de- we desire so deeply to be in such perfect union with. It's why, in part, many people experience anxiety and sorrow because of separation and lack of unity with others, concern about what people will think that is contrary either to the truth or contrary to what we hope we measure up to. And yet, if only we had that same longing and deep desire for total and perfect union with Christ pray for this. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, while we're discussing heaven as one of the four last things that the church turns our gaze towards, says, Scripture speaks of it in images. Life, light, peace, wedding feasts, wine of the kingdom, the Father's house, the heavenly Jerusalem, paradise. We read in Scripture, no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. What the Catechism is saying is that we have all of this imagery in sacred scripture, speaking of the heavenly Jerusalem, belonging in our Father's house, the kingdom of heaven, a wedding feast, a banquet, peace and joy. But we still can't fully fathom and understand what it is God has in store for us. The Catechism of the Catholic Church refers to the kingdom of heaven, being and living with God in heaven as definitive happiness. Do we see that definitive happiness that in heaven, there will be happiness that is not changeable because happiness is an emotion. It's fleeting. What we're seeking after is joy, which is a virtue. It's not a fleeting emotion that comes and goes like sorrow and giddiness. The Catechism of the Catholic Church in paragraph 1024 says, heaven is the ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longing, the state of supreme definitive happiness. Wow, that's pretty incredible. Heaven is the ultimate end and fulfillment of the deepest human longing that you have. And it's that supreme state of definitive happiness, as the Catechism says. I think part of the reason why we have a hard time contemplating or desiring heaven is because heaven is so simple. Yet we complicate things in our lives. And so I encourage you to come into that deep longing for the kingdom of heaven. And by doing so through conformity to Christ, we'll come into the perfection of our identity. And as we celebrate Christmas, I really do believe Christmas is a foretaste of heaven because we received God, Jesus Christ, the Christ child. And so as we celebrate Christmas, it's the coming of Christ. It should be the indwelling of Christ. This is why we go to Mass and receive Him, body, blood, soul, and divinity. But we're meant to remain with Him and not just leave Him there at church. That's why we have the great sacraments of the church. Adoption via baptism. Communion via Eucharist. Mercy via reconciliation. We're called to live in a state of grace so that we might merit the kingdom of heaven. 
I want to encourage you this Christmas to remember to make a gift to Jesus Christ himself who gave us everything. And I think the greatest gift we can give him is being cooperative in the grace he wants to give to us. And that's by living in a state of grace, consistently going to confession and receiving our Lord Jesus Christ worthily in holy communion. That's a foretaste of heaven and what the Catechism of the Catholic Church dives into on what heaven is in our series on the four last things. I'll be back in just a moment to unpack the hidden meaning behind the 12 days of Christmas song. of our Advent music here on Trending. Thanks to our, my producer, Jim Shaper. We are diving into some of my favorite content. And you know what's funny is I don't think I've ever actually made it through all 12 days in the 12 Days of Christmas song with a thorough explanation. Today, we're diving into the 12 Days of Christmas song in the hidden Catholic meaning behind it. I love this song. It's a song that was written to courageously and secretly teach the catechism of our faith when Catholics in England weren't allowed to practice. And I think it's important to remember the history of persecution in the church because we very well may see our own season of persecution. We face persecution today as Catholics in a different way. Between 1558 and 1829, Catholics in England were heavily persecuted, and they were not allowed to publicly practice the faith. And so this 12 Days of Christmas song is what the underground church used to still maintain the teaching of the faith. Now, I know there's a lot of debate over whether or not this song was actually used. I agree on the side of favoring that this was used and that it wasn't just added meaning later on. Uh, so setting that side of it, that part of it aside, because I know I'll get some haters who'll say, I don't think it was actually used as part of the teaching of the faith. I've seen on both sides where people say no, and a lot of people in favor of this was used as part of that song. Either way, there's great and rich meaning between the 12 days of Christmas song that can be used to teach a Catholic faith. So it was used as a code for religious children, Catholic children, to remember and learn their faith. Now, I love this part. Note the remembrance side. So I want to encourage you this Christmas season, as we walk through the 12 days of Christmas, to use this as an opportunity to learn key parts of your faith. So the song is all about truth, faith, and persecution, courage, and joy. And even though at the time, Catholics in England were being persecuted, look at this joyful song they use to teach the faith. It's a reminder that we're always called to be joyful, even in the face of our suffering. 
And we do that by faith alone. So my challenge to you is to remember not just the song, but to remember the hidden meaning behind the song. So enjoy this 12 Days of Christmas song and how we can dive deeper into understanding our faith. So the 12 Days of Christmas song, you know it as a partridge in the pear tree, two turtle doves, three French hens, four calling birds, five golden rings, six geese a-laying, seven swans a-swimming, eight maids a-milking, nine ladies dancing, 10 lords a-leaping, 11 pipers piping, and 12 drummers drumming. I know in the past I've had a hard time getting past the five golden rings. That seems to be the one everyone memorizes, but I'm doing pretty good. We'll see if I can sing it later tonight. I'm not a singer, so I will not be giving that performance here on Trending. So the first is a partridge in a pear tree. Do you have any guess as to what it could stand for? I think this is the easiest one. A partridge in a pear tree represents Jesus Christ, who like a partridge bird, would sacrifice his own life for others. Now, remember with this, I think it's a good reminder that we belong to Christ and the future that Jesus Christ has as a baby as we celebrate him this Christmas, that his future is the cross, is suffering, but is sacrificial giving love for us so that we might merit heaven. And so he is the partridge in the pear tree. Two turtle doves is a very easy one as well, but for some reason, this is one that in the past I had a hard time getting it to stick because it's so simple. The two turtle doves stand for the Old and the New Testament. So those two turtle doves represent the Old and the New Covenant between what we read in the Old Testament leading up to Christ and what we read in the New Testament. If you dive into what the Catechism teaches about the Old and the New Testament, we understand that Everything that is hidden in the Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament with Christ. And what was revealed in the New Testament was foreshadowed in the Old Testament, which is really neat because if you start to look at all the different typography of the Old Testament, you begin to see, wow, Moses is a type of Christ. Elijah is a type of Christ. And we could look at all of these different symbols. David, you see Jesus Christ hiding everywhere in the Old Testament. I remember some years ago when I was going to Stations of the Cross with my husband, who then we were dating, and my sister-in-law came with us one day to Stations of the Cross, and she's reading through all of the stations, and she's looking at us saying, this is all scripture. And she said, everywhere I'm seeing references to Jesus, but this was before he came. And it was one of those like exciting moments of, yes, exactly. God had his plan to give us his son, Jesus Christ. And all throughout the Old Testament, he was giving us these little hints and glimpses of the coming of Jesus Christ. This is why people knew, many people knew the things Jesus said and the things that people, that Jesus did were literally him saying, I'm the Messiah, but not just that I'm the Messiah, I'm God. And so those two turtle doves stand for the old covenant, that is the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay, in diving into the 12 Days of Christmas song, the three French hens and the hidden meaning used to pass on the Catholic faith during that time in England when Catholics were persecuted. Those three French hens, this is an easy shot. We should all know this one if we're looking for something in our faith that represents three. It's code for the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. These virtues are infused at our baptism and are absolute gifts from God. We can't just merit this on our own. We can't try to just practice it on a practical level. We can practice being faithful and hopeful and charity, but 
on the theological level of the virtues, that these are total gifts. They're actions of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to pray for them. We should, I love when you want to learn something about our faith, or if you want to be more faithful, be more hopeful, be more charitable. One of the best ways to grow in these things is to study them and ask for them. This is why staying in a state of grace is so important so that we maintain these graces that were infused in us at our baptism. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says that these three virtues have the one triune God for their origin, motive, and object. The Catechism of the Catholic Church Verses, or sorry, paragraph 1812 says, The theological virtues are the foundation of Christian moral activity. They animate it and they give it its special character. Moving on to the four calling birds from the 12 Days of Christmas song, that's code for another pretty easy one. If you guess it, it is the four Gospels, being Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Did you ever learn this prayer? I remember learning it as an adult. Uh, I think this is a, a cute prayer that, again, is used to help pass on the faith to children. It's a prayer that children sometimes pray, used to pray before bed. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, bless this bed that I lie on. It's invoking the names of the saints who are the four gospel writers and marking your bed in the four corners of the bed and say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, bless this bed that I lie on. We're reminded of the importance of the written word of God that's also passed on, by the way, via oral tradition and the many stories of the historical accounts of the life of Jesus Christ. I think this is an important just note to make that historically, prior to the printing press and prior to the mass production of books and the owning of books, specifically the Bible, the, the faith, the Bible was passed on through memorization. This is in part why it's riddled with stories. And I think that we really have lost the passing on of oral tradition via stories. Uh, we need to rekindle the passing on of our faith through storytelling. And so it's something to think about. You know, can you, I used to love it when I was a kid and I'd pray the daily rosary with my mom. We used to pray it a lot in the car. I remember riding in the minivan and I used to love to sometimes tell the stories of each decade beforehand. My favorite one as a little kid was I'd always beg her, can I tell the story about when Jesus is lost in the temple? And so she'd go ahead and so I'd tell the story of when Jesus was lost in the temple. And then we would pray that decade of the rosary. So it's a really fun way to pass on the oral tradition and make sure you have some of the parts and even have some of the precise words memorized that were said during that story. Do you ever memorize stories from the Bible? Do you read your Bible daily? This is a good reminder for us as Catholics. At a time when Catholics were heavily persecuted in the church, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ remained present to the underground church. It was at their core. They were passing on the faith. And this was done by passing on the tradition and the text of the sacred scripture by teaching their divine origin, reminding people that although there is a human author, the ultimate origin and author of all of sacred scripture is the Holy Spirit. So the five golden rings in the 12 days of Christmas song have a hidden Catholic meaning. This one is also, I think, not as apparent for some. It's a code for the first five books of the Bible that are referred to as the Torah and which are commonly referred to as being written vast majority by Moses. So those first five books include Genesis, 
Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now, I know, especially as you get into Numbers and Deuteronomy, it leads for some CD reading, but Genesis and Exodus in particular chronicle an immense amount of our salvation history. And we really should take the time to read these five books. And there are great aids in particular. Scott Hahn has a great commentary on these five books of the Bible that help you in really trying to understand, especially in books such as Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, some of the harder elements that are confusing or very legalistic. So in this representation of the five golden rings, referring to the five first books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which are traditionally uh, attributed to Moses having written them, we have in these first five books a really rich foundation for our human anthropology and the great covenants that God makes with his chosen people. We think of covenants made with Abraham Abraham and Isaac and David at the dawn of creation with Adam and Eve. Through reading these stories, we're reminded of all that God has in store for us and the very blueprint of the human person, our bodies, our very lives. We're reminded that the covenants that God makes with the main patriarchs throughout the Old Testament, especially in these five books, that these covenants are, are what, what a covenant stands for is for making families. Covenants make family. I remember that was a really key thing that was drilled into us when I was studying theology, that covenants, God's covenants with his people, establish family, the relationship, the familial relationship between God's chosen people and God. And all of salvation history is ultimately leading us up to the coming of Christ, where we enter into not just relationship, but familial relationship with Jesus Christ. So diving deeper into the 12 days of Christmas song, we're halfway there with six geese a lane. And if you're just joining me, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. The six geese a lane is a neat and simple one that you probably wouldn't guess. And it represents the six days of creation. Now we have six days of creation and we know on the seventh day that God rested. He looked at all that he made before him. So the six days of creation is a great marker in the teaching to teach the significance of one really important thing. God is the creator of the universe and the human person you and I are creatures and that God made all things for a purpose with a beginning and an end with a nature. We were created to be with God, but through the exercise of the free will that God gave us, remember he gave us free will. We're also free not to choose with him and to ignore the very purpose he has for our lives and all of the creation that he himself made. We can do that in our free will, but if we look at this 12 days of Christmas song, it's establishing this deep and rich teaching of our human anthropology, the grace and gifts of God, the teaching of the church, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospels, the very story and life of Christ. And so we'll come back diving into the rest of the 12 days of Christmas song. Coming up is seven swans of swimming. I'll leave you hanging. You can guess what do you think the seven swans of swimming are? What do they represent? What's the hidden Catholic meaning behind them? We'll continue to dive into the hidden Catholic meaning behind the 12 days of Christmas song when it was used between 1558 and 1829 when Catholics in England were persecuted.
here at Relevant Radio, and you're listening to Trending with Timory. It's great to be with you. I want to make sure that before Christmas hit, you had the opportunity to use the great song of the seven days of Christmas, or sorry, seven days of Christmas. We're on seven swans of swimming. Uh, you can listen to the full episode later if you missed it, but we're walking through the 12 days of Christmas song that has a hidden Catholic meaning. Now, I know there's some debate as to whether or not this was actually used or not. I'll share with you the fun story. Some people said that it wasn't actually used in England during this time. I don't know. Some historians say that it was, some don't. Either way, there's a great hidden Catholic meaning that can be used to teach the Catholic faith. And I hope that maybe you'll use it in your home. I plan to this year. My oldest daughter's only three. It was her birthday yesterday. That's where I was just enjoying spending the day with her. And I'm going to start using this because it's rich. These 12 days of Christmas, all the hidden meanings behind each of the things from the five golden rings to, we'll get to it, the drummer's drumming, all of it. Um, They were used between 1558 and 1829 by Catholics in England who were heavily persecuted to still practice and pass on their Catholic faith in key elements of the faith. It's a reminder for us to be joyful even in the face of suffering if this song was indeed used to pass on the faith. And what a beautiful way. So the seven swans of swimming, do you make a guess? What do you think seven swans of swimming stand for in our Catholic faith? Well, it stands for the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit. They're known, and I really hope you will memorize these. Their knowledge, wisdom, understanding, courage, counsel, piety, and fear of the Lord. You can find these in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 2 through 3. So I hope you'll work on memorizing these. These are seven great gifts of the Holy Spirit that we should be asking God to give to us. There is also some people reference that it was also referring to the seven gifts mentioned in Romans chapter 12 verses 6 through 8, which are a different set of seven gifts. We read in Romans, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, If service in our service, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who contributes in liberality, he who gives aid with zeal, and he who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Eight millions of milking in the 12 days of Christmas song stand for the eight beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure of heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are you when you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. These are the eight beatitudes. And by the way, I actually should practice. I used to have the eight beatitudes memorized and I'm not very good at memorizing things, but when we set our hearts and our minds to it, we can. And this is what my hope is in this 12 days of Christmas song. We can use it to memorize key elements of our faith and memorizing the eight beatitudes is doable. And remember, I think sometimes when we look at the beatitudes, we think in a distant way of those who mourn, those are who, who are poor. And we fail to see that we're called to embody what the eight beatitudes are and take a deeper dive spiritually into the significance of these eight beatitudes. 
Okay, nine ladies dancing in the 12 days of Christmas song. These represent the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now, you're correct if you're saying, hold on a second, there are 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. That is correct. But what was used was the nine ladies dancing was to condense these 12 fruits down into nine that were more memorable that you could memorize. I'm actually not 100% sure that I could name all 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. I know I could get most of them, but it gets a little complicated. And you may know some of these that are the same thing under different names, but here's a list in the reference to the song. Charity, joy, peace, patience and forbearance are combined, goodness and kindness are combined, mildness, fidelity, modesty, Continency is combined with chastity. Now, these 12 fruits condensed and denied can, again, also be referred to in different names that affect the same exact virtue. But I hope, just as a challenge, that you might consider working on memorizing the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I like to do sometimes when I want to memorize a prayer or I'm trying to have having a hard time memorizing something of the faith is I'll put a card of that prayer, that part of the teaching of the faith, and I'll put it somewhere else. So one of the places I have a card right now as Catholic nerd hack is I have just a nice little card with a, a Holy Spirit prayer that I'd like to memorize, and it's next to my laundry. So when I'm doing laundry, I can just pray that prayer for my family and work on memorizing it as well. For me, though, often I have to write it down over and over again to memorize it. So we find, by the way, those, those fruits of the Holy Spirit, their references to them in various places in Scripture. One of those places, just a fun fact, Catholic fact, is you can find those 12 fruits in Galatians chapter 5. But you may not see all 12 in the English translation unless it matches the Latin Vulgate, which was translated by St. Jerome, where St. Jerome breaks down the full 12 really well. So pray for the Holy Spirit to aid you in living these 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit out, which are condensed into nine for the nine ladies dancing in the 12 Days of Christmas song. Okay, we're rounding the bend here. The 10 Lords are leaping. This is an easy one. It stands for the 10 commandments. Do you have the 10 commandments memorized? You should if you go to confession. If you're not going to confession, I hope you do. This is one of the greatest gifts you can give to Jesus before Christmas. So please find the time if you haven't this Advent season to go to confession. And if you are in a state of mortal sin, go running to confession. If you want some help on remembering what the Ten Commandments are, uh, we're going to post a link to Relevant Radio that breaks down those Ten Commandments so you can work on memorizing them. Okay, the 11 Pipers Piping, I haven't memorized the last couple of years now, but this has been a hard one for me in the past. The 11 Pipers Piping, you'd probably never guess unless you're really good with just remembering numbers. But the 11 Pipers Piping, as we know, stands for the 11 faithful apostles because the 12th one being Judas betrayed Christ. And I think this is a good moment to ponder during the Christmas season as we're on the 11 Pipers piping that the apostles, the only one at the foot of the cross was John. And his teachings, I think when we look at the teachings of the apostles and we look at the apostles themselves, we're reminded that Judas was the one unfaithful apostle. And perhaps we miss to see how we ourselves betray Christ and are unfaithful to him. Now, the difference between St. Peter and Judas is Peter also betrayed Christ. He denied Christ. However, he returned to Christ unlike Judas. And so remember the fidelity of the 11 piping pipers and pray for their intercession. 
Okay, the last one in the 12 Days of Christmas song. This one's really difficult to remember, and it stands for, do you have a guess? The 12 Articles of Faith in the Apostles' Creed. So I'll name them all really quick, but if you want a great reference for it, you can find this in paragraph 185 in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. First is, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Second, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Third, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Fourth, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Fifth, he descended to tell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. Sixth, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Seven, he will come again to judge the living and the dead. Eight, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Nine, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. Ten, the forgiveness of sins. Eleven, the resurrection of the body. And twelve, and in life everlasting. That's it for the 12 Days of Christmas song. I hope you'll save this, listen to it, and work on memorizing these key parts of your faith during this Christmas season coming up. <music>